Good morning. Good to see you guys. Hey, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Garrett. I'm one of the pastors on staff. As you saw in that Roland video, we are in a series throughout the summer called Psalms. And we creatively titled this because we're reading through the Psalms. And we ran out of any other names. So we went with the title of the Psalms. Um, here's, here's what the Psalms are. Simply put, the Psalms are God's word given to us to pray, say, and sing back to him. So God's words written down for us, for us to say, pray, and sing back to us. And the purpose of the Psalms ultimately is to connect our heart to God's. And so whether it's a Psalm of praise or of lament, I love this aspect that in all seasons of our life, good or bad, we can say, pray, and sing those thoughts back to God. We can tell him what's on our heart and our mind no matter what it is. God's a creative God. He's artistic. He is the original artist who creates something out of absolutely nothing. He is the definition of inspired. And one of the things that scriptures tell us about the nature of God is that he loves music. And he loves it when we worship him through music. And essentially, the Psalms are poems, most of them lyrics that were intended to be sung. They were written to musicians, choir leaders, etc., for us to sing back as praise and worship to God. And there's just something about music, isn't there? Like when I, when I hear certain songs, so for example, Dave Matthews' band. Yeah, that dates me a little bit, right? When I hear Dave Matthews' band, I am instantly back at Yosemite National Park. I lived there for a couple years. I was a backpack guide there. And every once in a while, I'd get an evening off. And typically how I spent that evening is I would get in my car, roll the windows down, crank the heater, and drive through the winding roads in the back country of Yosemite, listening to Dave Matthews as loud as my speakers could go. And it's crazy because every time I hear those songs, I can smell the air of Yosemite. I can see the winding roads. It like instantly takes me back to this place. When I hear the John Mayer trio, if you're familiar with John Mayer at all, one of the experiments he did, a, kind of a, a blues trio that he did, when I hear that album, I'm instantly at the House of Blues in San Diego with Tawny standing front row watching John Mayer play these songs, realizing in that moment this is probably one of the coolest experiences we're ever going to have in our life. It was insane. It's amazing the power that music has, the nostalgic power to bring us back to a specific place in time. Today, we're going to look at Psalms 42 and 43, and they are songs. It says at the beginning of Psalm 42 that it was written to the choir master. So clearly, it was intended to be given to someone that leads worship as a song. I believe that 42 and 43 were originally actually the same song, or at least 43 was an appendix to 42, because as we go through it, you're going to see this really cool cadence. When you think of a song, so song and psalm sound real familiar, but take yourself out of psalm and just think about a song. There's verses, and then there's a chorus, and then verses, and then a chorus, right? We know that pattern when we listen to music, and that's very much what we're going to see as we read through this. In Psalm 42, there's a verse and a chorus, a second verse, then the chorus repeats itself, then we go into Psalm 43, and there's a third verse, and it wraps up with that exact same chorus. 
the theme throughout is spiritual depression. Spiritual depression. So before you check out, you're like, all right, I come to church on a Sunday to get encouraged, get pumped up to charge my week, and this guy's up here talking about depression. I'm out. Here's the thing, though. I hope as a result of today, of reading through these psalms together, and and hopefully as a result of uh, this message, that you leave feeling encouraged. Because I love the example the psalmist gives in these two psalms of being able to be completely honest with God and holding nothing back. Each verse telling God exactly where he's at and how he feels, being honest and transparent all the way through. But here's what you'll notice, that as it comes to the chorus, which repeats itself three times, there's an incredibly hope-filled lift. So, if you will, let's jump into Psalm 42 and 43. It's, uh, it's quite a bit. I'm going to read right through it. And as I go through, I'm going to call out this verse and chorus structure. So hopefully you hear it more as a song uh, to be sung than just reading straight through these two psalms. All right? So starting off with 42, first verse of our song. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food. Listen, listen to this language, just so visceral, so vivid. My tears have been my food, day and night, while they say, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng, with the multitudes, and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And here's the first time we see the chorus of our song. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Second verse. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves are going over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, it's like a cancer in his bones. My adversaries, they taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Second time the chorus happens. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now Psalm 43, the beginning of the third verse of our song. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. And he concludes with a chorus for the third time. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So if you couldn't tell from this, this falls under the category of a lament psalm. 
right? This is not a psalm of praise. This is a psalm of lament. It's crying out to God, scared, feeling alone, feel like God has left him alone. It's what I'm calling spiritual depression. The first verse of the song, the psalmist is talking about dryness. The second verse of the song, this idea of drowning, your waves and your breakers crashing over me. In the third verse, he's singing about this feeling of being dejected. Now, before I go on, here's my disclaimer, okay? Here's the asterisk. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a licensed counselor. I'm not a clinician. I'm a teacher. So I am going to confine my thoughts on this idea of spiritual depression to what I see in these two psalms. Nothing more, okay? So there's, there's a lot more going on in the world of mental health and depression. I certainly am not gonna give a medical uh, scientific talk on this. I'm going to speak from what I see in, the, in these two psalms. And here's the primary reason I wanna teach on this today. Because I think there's a lot of Christians and I think there's probably a lot of people in this room today that relate to these feelings of dryness, of feeling like they're drowning, of feeling dejected. People that understand what the ancients called a dark night of the soul. Whatever you wanna call it, having a blues, having a bad day, feeling depressed. Some of you know what it's like to have your zest for life vanish. To have simple tasks feel like impossible demands. And for the words hope and joy to become just words without real meaning in them. And if you're here saying, no, I don't really relate to that, well then I hope, I hope you'll listen to this. The chances are you're sitting next to someone or real close to someone that does. Chances are that there are people in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in your group of friends that really do relate to this. And so my hope for you is as a result, as a result of today, you might have a little better understanding, be better able to sympathize with them and ultimately be able to love those people better. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna look at these two Psalms and I wanna talk about the reasons and the remedies of spiritual depression. The reasons for it and then we'll conclude with the remedies of it. But before I do that, I wanna lay some quick groundwork on what I refer to as the realities of it. And I use this word realities on purpose because realities can be relative. Different people believe different things and oftentimes those become their reality. But that doesn't mean that they are actual reality. They can tend to be flawed realities. And as we look through this, I see three spiritual flaws that are often perpetuated within church culture that I just wanna address and say is not good, is not helpful, in fact, are completely harmful. So here are the three spiritual flaws, the flawed realities that I hear perpetuated over and over that creates a stigma here in church culture. Number one is, it's all in your head. It's all in your head. Number two, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be depressed, right? You sing the song, if you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't be depressed. And the the third flawed reality is that somehow, if you're experiencing depression, that you lack faith or are in some way, shape, or form spiritually immature. And I just wanted to hit those right off the bat and say that they are flawed and completely unhelpful. I think back to my mid-20s, I went through a long and severe season of depression. 
um, and was doing everything I could to deal with it, was seeing counseling, was seeing a psychiatrist, was taking medication for it. Um, it, was a, it was probably the toughest season in my life. And I remember going to my pastor and my mentor at the time, someone I'm still very close with, and telling him where I was at and what I was going through and, and how difficult this was. and was just bearing my soul to this guy. Um, really outside of the counselor and my parents, the only person I had shared this with. And I will never forget what he says. I love this man more than most anyone in my life. But what he said that day was one of the most hurtful things that I have ever heard or experienced. His response to my sharing was to ask me how much every day I was praying in tongues and challenged me that I needed to spend more time every day praying in my prayer language. And I remember walking away going, so is that the deal? Is this like a works-based system that if I read the Bible a certain amount and if I pray in my natural tongue a certain amount, if I pray in my prayer language a certain amount, then that will get me up out of this thing. And I went away feeling just so beat down, like something was wrong, that, that, that I lacked faith. So I just want to address those things up front and say it's completely unfounded. It's not biblical. It's not helpful. Uh, in fact, it's really hurtful. So here's the reality. Here's the reality of depression is that 20% of American adults in the last year would say that they've experienced some sort of mental illness. 20% of adults, 18 or above in the United States would say they've experienced some sort of mental illness. 9% of adults in America would say that they've experienced severe depression. That's significant. That's almost one out of every 10 people. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And one of the things that means is that our bodies are insanely complex and that any tweaking within us can have impacts. I remember years ago, Tawny, my wife, um, had an issue with her thyroid. She didn't know at the time she had an issue with her thyroid. She felt uh, really sluggish, really unmotivated, which if you know my wife, these are like opposite of who she is. She's hard charging all the time. She felt anxious, agitated. She was constantly, her hands were kind of tremoring like she had had too much coffee. She just couldn't relax. So she felt really anxious and charged up, yet zero motivation. Finally, one day she went to the doctor and they did some tests and it turns out that something was wrong with her thyroid. And if you know anything about the thyroid, it's one of the parts of our body that helps regulate hormones. And so as they dialed that in, her reality got a lot better, but our bodies are complicated. This idea that Christians should never be depressed, if that's the case, you're going to have a really tough time with the Psalms because they are all over the emotional map, all over the place. Uh, the idea produces a lack of authenticity, you know, like this. If you're happy and you know it, then your face would show it. That we walk around with these plastic smiles like, hey, I woke up like this, brother. Hey, sister. It just completely lacks authenticity. And yes, we have something the world does not. We have the joy of the Lord that is our strength. But walking around and being phony and unauthentic just isn't helpful and it's wrong. And lastly, if spiritual, if spiritual depression marks somehow a lack of faith or spiritual maturity, not only are you going to have a tough time with the Psalms, you're going to have a tough time with the rest of the Bible. Right, King David, man after God's own heart, says, my soul's in anguish, O Lord, how long? In Psalm 6, he says, I make my bed swim with tears. 
Elijah the prophet, pretty spiritual guy, when he was running from Queen Jezebel in the desert, he says, it's enough. Oh, Lord, take my life. That's suicidal. Job, God said he was the most spiritual man walking the earth in his day. Scripture says that Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. You gotta feel pretty low to do that. And then Paul, the great apostle of the New Testament, says that he was burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that he despaired even his own life. That's the reality that we're dealing with. All throughout scripture, you see this. So today, like I said, we're gonna talk about the reasons for it and the remedies for it. The reasons and the remedies. So let's dive into the reasons. Reason number one, expectations. I remember my dad talking to me about this on my wedding day. Expectations, expectations, expectations. Son, right-size your expectations. And uh, maybe better said is unfulfilled expectations. When something happens that doesn't meet our expectations, that's an unfulfilled expectation. Verse one of our song in Psalm 42, it says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng, the multitude, and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Whoever it is that wrote this psalm feels cut off from spiritual life and isolated in this instance. Notice the verbs they use, like a deer, thirsty, panting for water, wanting refreshment but not getting it whatsoever. So who's writing this psalm? I don't know for sure. My guess, and, and a lot of others as well, is it's one of the sons of Korah. If you know anything about Korah, take you way, way, way back. He's one that led a rebellion against Moses of 250 people. Scripture says that the earth opened up, swallowed them. They all died. Not a real happy story. But their survivors were Korah's sons, the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah are now leaders of worship. They are responsible for leading worship at the tabernacle. And so at the beginning of of, uh, Psalm 42, it says, to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. So there's a good chance that one of the sons of Korah is writing this psalm, potentially to his family who leads worship. And if that is what they do, if that's what they're responsible, they're, they're past a dad who led a rebellion against Moses, they're present as leaders of worship at the temple, but now this individual is stuck wandering out in the wilderness with David and is probably feeling like his purpose is being challenged. He's remembering back to, I led the multitudes in worship and now I'm out here lost, wandering And whenever our purpose is challenged, whenever our usefulness is challenged, whenever our identity is challenged, we become susceptible to great spiritual depression. It shows up when people feel trapped in a marriage, when a person feels trapped in a job, when they feel forced into retirement because of a medical issue, when they've been out of a job and looking for a long time and just feel like they can't catch a break, nothing's come around. And you begin to say, what use am I? 
What is my purpose? What am I even doing? This isn't how I thought life was going to work out. When we have unrealized expectations, and certainly when we feel we lack purpose, when we lose a sense of our identity, we're prone to experience spiritual depression. Second reason, I think, in this psalm that we see is criticism. Criticism. You walk through verse 3, it says, They say, where is your God? Verse 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me, where is your God? Psalm 43, the second verse, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy. This author is surrounded by critics, surrounded by people who are taunting him criticizing him whenever you suffer for doing good for doing right for trying to follow the straight and narrow path doing the right thing and you end up being mocked because of it it can tend to produce anxiety proverbs twelve twenty five tells us that anxiety in the heart of man causes depression think about the christian student a freshman just out of high school freshman going into college at a secular university being challenged, being mocked, being taunted. Where is your God? Why does your God do this? Why does your God allow this, right? A Christian person in the marketplace trying to defend their faith and hearing from the people they work with who are not believers in Jesus. Tell me about your God. Where is he when this happens? Where is he when that happens? Why does your God allow this to happen? When someone criticizes your appearance, choices you've made, work you've done. I think social media is one of the most powerful ways we experience this idea, this sense of criticism. It builds anxiety. And the scriptures say that that can cause depression. Remember Linus from the Peanuts cartoon, Charlie Brown? I don't know if you remember reading this, but uh, he would say, I love mankind. It's just the people I don't like. I like mankind. It's just the people I don't like. And sometimes we can kind of feel like that if we're honest with ourselves, right? People are kind of mean. I just want to build up fences around my yard and like start homesteading and be self-sustaining. Like how can I withdraw from all of this? It's not really probably what we're necessarily supposed to do, but we can feel that way if we're honest. It's okay. We can feel that way. It's a tough place, this world. So expectations, Criticism, third reason I see in these two psalms for spiritual depression is focus on our past. Remembering the past, but doing it in the wrong way. The wrong use of your past. If we look at verse four, he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng, with the multitude, and lead them in procession to the house of God. Again, this is, I believe, one of the sons of Korah, He's remembering, like, this, this is who I was. This is what I did. I used to lead the multitude of people in worship. I was somebody. I was important. That's what he's thinking. He has memories of better days, what it used to be like, which can be a good thing, right? Because it can often help us remember God's faithfulness. I don't want to discount that at all. But sometimes we can tend to reflect on the past as the good old days, I wish it was like the good old days. Remember when, remember when, remember when. And if we're honest with ourselves, I mean, just come on for a second here. When you think about the good old days, if if you're really honest, 
we tend to forget a lot of the stuff that was actually happening in the good old days that wasn't so good. So we kind of like wipe that out and we just go back to some of our fond memories. And we can get stuck in that and wish that life was like that again. But life doesn't stay the same. Life changes. There's a lot of us that have had hurtful experiences from churches in the past. We're part of this incredible movement and then something changed and it becomes so hard to get back into a new place because you just wish it was always like that. There's all sorts of examples in our lives of how we experience this kind of stuff. But if we think life is always gonna be this way because in the past it always had been that way, we can set ourselves up for a crash because life doesn't always stay the same. And the last reason I see in these Psalms for spiritual depression is self-focus, a preoccupation with yourself a preoccupation with yourself that leads to swirls of depression in our behavioral pattern. So I did some counting in these Psalms. Here's what I found. I thought this was interesting. There were 51 personal pronouns. So listen to this. The psalmist used the word I 14 times, me 16 times, my 21 times. Okay, so I know it's his psalm, his song, kind of like a journal entry, so you write about yourself, so I get that. But at the same time, he mentions God 20 times and Lord once. So 21 times God, 51 times me. That is out of balance. That's a preoccupation with oneself. His plans aren't being fulfilled. His life is crashing down. His past has been changed. And though there's many reasons that lead to depression, one of them can be self-focus, a preoccupation with ourselves. All right, so I said that this psalm was filled with hope, (laughs) and so we're gonna go into the hope, the remedies, and that's what I wanna close with, the remedies. How do you mitigate against these kinds of, and these ways of thinking and experiences and your reaction to them? So what are the remedies for it? I'll, I'll say this, there's a lot of remedies. And I said, I'm gonna confine my thoughts to these Psalms, but I'm gonna break my rule just for a second. Because in our lives, in our world, there are tons of remedies. We think of some of the banner ways people self-medicate, people cope. You think of drugs, you think of alcohol, you think of sex. But there are way more ways that, uh, that people cope with than that. People that were surveyed Um, who experienced depression, 35% of them say that the way that they cope is by watching television, by just checking out. So I think a lot of us can relate to that, right? Like we can tend to think, oh, uh, addiction and depression, that's, that's someone else's thing, that's them. Like you think of what we refer to as the banner sins, this drugs and alcohol, and I don't deal with that. How many of us check out by watching TV? How many of us feel, feel gaps, feel voids, in our life with things other than the truth of Jesus. My guess is I'm probably speaking to myself and everyone in this room because that's just part of the human condition. Scripture tells us that we are not living in our intended state, that our world is broken. It is not how God intended for us. And so all of us are actively trying to get back to that place. And and we're not gonna get there fully the other side of this life in eternity in heaven 
And so oftentimes we have what are referred to as coping mechanisms, things that we use to try and help us feel better. And oftentimes we will put things in there that are not Jesus. Checking out, working, overworking out, eating, all sorts of things, fear, anger, the list goes on and on and on. This is why, I know I'm on a little bit of a tangent here, but I feel like this is important because this is not stuff that we tend to talk a lot about in church. But if almost half of the Psalms are lament Psalms and they show us this picture of people that can cry out to God and be open and honest and vulnerable with him, then we probably should communicate that at church. That's why we sponsor every Monday night here, right here where we're sitting, Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery meets here every single Monday night. Because they recognize that spiritual depression is way bigger than a few of the banner sins. We say in Celebrate Recovery that we exist for anyone with a hurt, hang up, or a habit. So think about that. If you've got a hurt, a hang up, or a habit, then that is for you. And in case you're wondering, I think that probably encapsulates all of us. Because we're all in recovery. Like I said, we're all part of this broken world trying to get back to our intended state. And if I'm honest, I think everyone should attend Celebrate Recovery. It's an incredibly hope-filled place where people come and are honest about where they're at and learn how to put Jesus into all of those different things. Here at Arbor, there's zero stigma around that. It is normal and it is celebrated. So, okay, I'm off my tangent. (laughs) back to the remedies so there's three remedies that i see in this psalm three remedies and i will sum it up in one word replace 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 first one replace your thoughts with his truth did you notice that the psalmist in these two psalms talks to himself did you see that in the in the chorus he says why so downcast oh my soul why are you disquieted within me it's like he's preaching to himself hey Hey, you, hey, you in there. I'm talking to you. Hope in God. Put your hope in God. According to a man, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's a medical doctor who became a pastor. He wrote in his book titled Spiritual Depression. So, spoiler alert, that's where I got my title for the talk. He writes this. We must talk to ourselves instead of letting ourselves talk to us. You hear that? This is really interesting. Cue in on this. He says, most of your unhappiness is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Are you listening to your feelings or are you talking to them and replacing them with the truth of God? The New Testament calls this taking your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. As soon as you wake up in the morning, and a flood of thoughts, a flood of feelings come on over you. Do you listen to that, or do you speak God's truth to your feelings? Second, replace yourself with your God. Replace yourself with your God. So I know it's human nature to be self-absorbed in suffering, and it's the nature of suffering. But at some point, you're going to bring God into the picture. And that's what verses eight and nine are all about. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me. It says a prayer to my God, uh, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to my rock, why have you forgotten me? So this is how the psalmist feels. 
but at least he's now looking upward and he's saying it to God. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? He's focusing not inward, but he's focusing upward. Do you remember Corey Tenbaum, the survivor of the Nazi war camp, and what she said? She said, look around. If I was to look around at all this, I'd be distressed. If I'm to look within myself, I'll be depressed. But if I look to Jesus, I'll be at rest. That's powerful. Your outlook is determined by your uplook. And the psalmist looks up. Lastly, replace your past with your God-given future. Three times in these two verses, or in these two psalms, the word hope appears. It appears and the truth of hope appears in Psalm 43. So essentially the psalmist is hoping God will defend him from his enemies. That's verses one and two. Hoping that God's truth and light will lead him. That's verse three. Hoping that God will restore that place of worship back in the temple. That's verse four. It's all forgetting the past in Psalm 43 and looking ahead toward the future. Remember what Paul the apostle said, forgetting those things which are behind, looking forward to those things which are ahead before me. Whatever's happened in your past, it's in your past. Much of it, most of it cannot be changed. But replace your past with your God-given future. So I wanna quickly conclude by saying this. If you resonate with this feeling that the ancients referred to as the dark night of the soul, you're not alone, you're in good company. In fact, it seems to make you quite normal. You're loved and there is hope for you. There is hope for you. In these Psalms, you get this beautifully vivid picture of someone who's lost, lonely, in a dark place, but also knows the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. A picture of someone that can acknowledge the pain and the darkness that they're in, be honest with God about it, but hold on to hope. This hopeful lift in the Psalms, I just, I love it. That the Psalmist doesn't give up and he doesn't give in, They remember those times that they felt different, that they've experienced God in undeniable ways, and they remember his faithfulness, even in the smallest of details. It's an anchor for them. And when you think about an anchor, an anchor does not keep a boat. It does not keep the waves from hitting the boat. An anchor doesn't build a wall around the boat. An anchor holds the boat from being taken into the shore where the shipwreck occurs, right? An anchor holds you fast, holds you steady in the midst of the storm. In this past week, I was talking with Hayden, walking through these ideas, walking through these Psalms, telling him what I was thinking about communicating to you today. And as I was doing that, he showed me this incredibly beautiful song. Hey, Hayden. (laughs) And so I invited him. You're wondering, well, Hayden heard his name and he's coming up. So I invited him to come up and play this song for you. Here's why. So if the Psalms are meant to be songs that are sung, 
I thought part of what we're doing today is uh, communicating it through spoken word, but I thought it'd be really cool to actually integrate it into a song. The song that Hayden's gonna sing is not word for word, Psalm 42, but it was written by an artist that associated really well with this feeling of a dark night of the soul. Feeling depressed and in turmoil within himself. Connected really well with Psalm 42 and 43. But he also says as he wrote this song that he was filled with hope, that he knew there would be better days, that he never doubted the faithfulness of God and yet wanted to be real and authentic and transparent in where he was and what he was feeling at that time. And so Hayden is going to play this song and as he does, we're going to turn the lights down really low. And my hope is that you would focus on the lyrics on the screen. Feel the lyrics. Feel the emotion that's being communicated. Feel the emotion in Hayden's voice. Hear the emotion in the guitar. Let your senses be impacted. That's what these psalms were meant to do, was appeal to our emotion, to our senses, to get into us, to go past just our head and be into our heart and our soul. Grace to me 
As a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. And when I survey your splendor, you so faithfully renew like a bed of rest for my fainting flesh. I am satisfied in you. Let my sighs give way to songs that sing about your faithfulness. Let my pain reveal your glory as my only real rest. Let my loss show me all I truly have is you. all I truly have is you. So when I'm drowning out at sea, it's your breakers and your waves crash down on me. I'll recall your safety scheme. You're the one who made the waves And you sent your son to suffer in my place And to tell me that I'm safe Why am I down? Why so disturbed? I am satisfied in you. 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 God that loves us so much that He just wants to be with us. Wherever we're at, He just wants to be with us and wants us to communicate with Him and to share these thoughts, these feelings, these struggles, and that ultimately He is our bed of rest. And all of our hope is in Him, even 